Hello, welcome to Modus Operandi. It has been a good long time and we are going to kick off today with Men Who Cross the Border by Francois Barreau. It happens on a Thursday. The morning offers the usual odours, armpits, assholes, instant coffee and cheap cigarettes dominate, but also Diego's cologne. We stand in a line, but there is no order. When we get picked, if we get picked, depends on whims we can't understand. Does lighter skin attract? Probably. Will a moustache repel? Probably not. Should hair be gelled or natural? Unclear. We pretend to have control. Pretend we're something more than muscle attached to brown bodies. Diego talks non-stop. Legends of the line. He tells anyone who will listen about Choi Rodriguez. He was picked up by a brunette, and before one hedge was trimmed, he was fucking her from behind, fake tits bouncing against the marble kitchen counter. Same every day for a week, and took home a grand on Friday. Never touched as much as a rake. And there was Rogelio Sanchez. Got picked up to lay some irrigation and saved a girl from a horse, or a horse from a girl, or some damn thing, and walked away with 10G. Fucking 10G. And today there's a new guy. Young, tight shirt, muscles bulging. He reeks of ambition, which has no place here. He glares at Diego. Bullshit. No one's that lucky. Diego talks faster. Remember Esteban? Shut the fuck up. The new guy takes a step toward Diego. One of the older guys, Juan Rivera maybe, speaks up. Diego, drop it. This guy's bad news. Diego shifts his weight from one foot to another, silent for once. He's a bad worker, but we don't care. We like Diego and his crazy stories. He brings us hope and donuts. A pickup truck cruises towards us. Work for two, someone shouts. A blade flashes. Blood flows from a thin line on Diego's hairless forearm. The new guy dances away with the knife and the tires squeal. It's a surface wound, but the damage is done. Our hands are the maps of our lives. Every nick, every scar, every blackened nail, evidence of our labour. Hands that caress shovels, hammers and trowels which have forgotten how to touch a woman. Everything happens so fast in this country. Before the blood has dried on the asphalt, there's a screaming manager, white face red, and when we hear sirens we flee like cockroaches from the light. There will be no work today and no return here. Too late to go anywhere but home. We will cross the border, shamed by our empty pockets and hollow dreams. Tonight we will sit together, no meat in our bellies, cigarettes in hand. We will discuss where to go tomorrow. Someone will say there is a new Home Depot we can try. He's heard the gringos are plentiful there, looking for us, cheap labour. But we worry about what we lost today. The constellation of possibility has gotten smaller. 
dreams and legends cannot make this border life sustainable. We don't expect to see Diego again. We'll miss the donuts. The Time Between by Kirsten Petrus Published in Hoosier Noir 4 The crickets are chirping, filling the grass underneath the open window. The stale air of an Indiana summer fills the room, dark except for the light of the moon and the single street lamp on the corner. James's arm is wrapped around her and he inhales the scent of her hair. It's the sticky fruit of her hairspray and something else he doesn't try to place. Her skin is warm, her face into his chest, and though he's sweating, he doesn't let go. He wants to hold her, to savour this moment with her. He hears her voice in the dark. It's late, Charlotte says. You weren't sleeping. No, my love, I'm not. Why? His fingers run back and forth along her arm. Because it's quiet now. And it won't be quiet later. He can't tell if it's a question or not. And he takes a long while to respond. I don't know. He gently moves the hair away from her face, looking into her eyes as she lies curled against him. The dirty blonde hair looks different in the night, the roots glowing in the moonlight, while the bottom looks like it was dipped in black dye. Her skin is so smooth, so pale, so perfect. If he sleeps, the moment disappears. What are you thinking about? How beautiful you are. He can feel her lips against his skin. Did they twitch into a smile? You're full of shit. No, I mean it. Of course you do. Don't be rude, he frowns. I'm not being rude. I was being serious. Of course you mean it now. She's referring to their fight from earlier in the evening when they sat down to dinner. I didn't mean what I said, his fingers tightening around her. I didn't, love. You called me, I know, and I'm sorry, truly, I am. Just for that, for that and many other things, I am sorry. I told you that already. Why does she have to do this, he thought. Why couldn't they just have a moment, a single moment, where they could be quiet? where he could just enjoy her in his arms and not talk about anything, not answer her constant questions. She's still beside him, no voice calling to him. He gently traces the outline of her figure, down her arm, her ribs, her side, the curve of her hip, and back up to touch her face. Her skin is perfect, smooth as porcelain, her face still has remnants of her makeup, the mascara lengthening her eyelashes, and they tickle his chest as he moves to look at her. Her eyes are dark, almost black. Once, when they were first dating, and he was trying to be romantic, 
He told her when he looked into them. They seemed like sirens luring him off a ship, that he was afraid he would drown in their darkness. She laughed and told him he was ridiculous, but the pink flush in her cheeks told him all he needed to know. He missed her blushing. He hadn't seen it in some time. He can't see it now. What are you thinking about? she asks. When we first met. Oh, what about it? That date we went to the Italian place over on Michigan Avenue. That black dress you wore. I wore that dress a lot after that. He hears a smile in her voice. Your face when you saw me. I didn't hide it very well. He inches his arm around her more, pulling her closer. No, but I didn't mind. I knew exactly what you wanted. It was refreshing. You are the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. I was the most beautiful girl you've ever seen. Something wet is dripping onto his arm, and his fingers tighten on her shoulder. I'm sorry, Charlotte. Please, please don't. I'm not wrong, though. She's quiet, and her voice sounds muffled when she speaks, and he wonders if he missed a few words. Do you love me? His grip loosens on her, and he looks down, astonished. Of course I love you. You know that. She does not offer him the same answer in return, but he can feel the heat of her body against his, and he tells himself that is enough. James isn't sure how long it stays quiet, and he doesn't try to ruin the moment. Because this is peace, true peace, with Charlotte in his arms and the world silent and asleep. Nothing to disturb him, to ruin this for him. He's not a large man. He's always had trouble keeping weight on, could never put on excess muscle. But he feels like he can keep the world at bay, circling himself around her. You're still awake, Charlotte whispers. I am. Why? Why what? Why aren't you sleeping? Because this right here, this is perfect. What's staring at me? Staring at you, holding you, admiring you. You're weird. She laughs lightly, not loud enough to disturb the calmness of the night, the mellowness of their mood. You've told me that before. His lips brush her forehead. And what do I always say back? That I chose you. So what does that say about me? He notices, as the late night turns into morning, the heat is dissipating. There is no longer sweat clinging to his skin, no longer warmth radiating from hers. You had chosen me anyway. Please, she whispers, please, let's not start again. I thought you wanted to enjoy this. I did, I do. He moves from his side to his back, running a hand across his face. He pushes his black hair, just about due for a cut, back out of his eyes. Charlotte says nothing, waiting for him to either continue or let the conversation die. The crickets outside are quieter, their chirps less frequent. 
I need you, Charlotte, Jim says, his voice barely more than a whisper. Like I've never needed anyone else in my entire life. She doesn't respond and he continues. I don't know how to survive without you. It was never my job to save you, she tells him. In the dark, it feels like she's reaching for him. Her presence pulling at him to turn back towards her. But he doesn't. He stays on his back looking at the ceiling. I didn't say it was. Yes, you did. Every time you told me you couldn't go on without me, you trapped me with every line. I don't want you to feel trapped. I just... You gave me obligations I didn't ask for. I wasn't ready for. Stop. He could feel the tears in the corners of his eyes. You survived when I left before, she says, ignoring him. You survived when I was gone. Only to get you back, he whispers. Holding on long enough to have you here with me again. And that's why you won't sleep, Charlotte asks. James doesn't speak for a long while. Long enough he's sure she thinks he actually did finally fall asleep. I'm scared that if I fall asleep none of this will be real. That I'll wake up and the day won't have happened and I'll have to do it all again. Would that necessarily be a bad thing? It could wind up better than it did this time. Or it could be worse. What would make it worse? If you'd left. Anything else I could have done so you wouldn't be here talking to me. She lets out a little snort of laughter. And when she speaks again, it again sounds muffled. Like she's speaking into the blankets and not all the words are reaching his ears. Why do you love me? He rolls back over to look at her. At her face. At the freckles on her cheeks and the curve of her jaw. Because I come alive when I see you. Because nothing is real if you're not beside me. Because I look at you and I know you're it. You're the only thing that matters. And I know I can't lose that feeling no matter what it takes. He wraps his arm back around her, pulling her towards him again. She doesn't respond, but he feels her soft lips against his bare chest. I love you, I love you, I love you, James keeps whispering into her ear, into the air, into the night. The crickets have stopped chirping by the time they speak again. How did you picture tonight going? Charlotte asks. In your mind, when you pictured it, when you were planning it, what did it look like? He smiles his imagination taking him back in time. I went to the store in the morning. I picked out the steaks, bought more butter, more peppercorns because I was out. Got that nice bottle of red, the Chianti. I stopped by that bakery on Lincoln Way, picked out a chocolate cake. I was having flowers delivered because I never know what to pick when I go into the store. But I told them you liked lilies. I don't like lilies. There's no malice in her tone. I like daisies. Lilies are nicer, he frowns. She's ruining his retelling. Charlotte doesn't reply and he continues. 
so I had them ready to go when you walked in the door. I wanted the place to smell like good food, to have the wine waiting for you. I wanted you to feel like you were coming home. You created your perfect evening, she says. So what happened instead? The steaks went off. I bought them too soon. Or they were out of the fridge for too long, I'm not sure. So you ordered instead. So I ordered instead. And you were in a bad mood when I arrived. Late. James's reply is sharp. You were late. I wasn't sure if I wanted to come inside. He's stung by this. Why not? Because I could hear the screaming and the cursing from the doorway. Before I even showed up, you were yelling and making the neighbours roll their eyes. So I circled the block a few times, wondering if you'd calm down. If it would be worth it if you did. This is your home. Your life is here. Everything you own. You'd have had to come back eventually. Did I? It's not a question requiring an answer. And she continues before he'd offer one regardless. Things can be replaced. I could have hired movers. I could have ordered new copies of most documents. I could have survived at least. You thought about that? It's an accusation. And one he doesn't attempt to hide. You thought about never seeing me again? Yes, I did. She also speaks unashamedly. I didn't like the idea, but... You were just going to leave me. He sits up on the bed, away from her, hands shaking. You were going to leave me here alone. Charlotte doesn't speak. She waits. Patiently, she waits, until he stills and twists his head to the side. I'm sorry, he says quietly. I just can't imagine you... But you're here now. That's what matters. That's what matters. She repeats. He turns to her and kisses the top of her head. You did come inside. I did. When she'd stopped screaming. The restaurant was late with the delivery. Couldn't get in touch with the driver. They finally got a hold of the guy and said he was on his way. So it didn't really matter that I was late, she says. No, I suppose it didn't, he sighs. I had the wine waiting for you at least. You did. It was good. It was your favourite. Our favourite. Your favourite, Charlotte says again. Your favourite steak, your favourite restaurant, your favourite wine. I thought you... You made your perfect meal for your perfect day, for your perfect reunion. There is no cynicism, no anger in her voice. It is cold, unfeeling, unattached. Don't do this, James sighs. Don't turn this into something dramatic. I'm not turning it into anything. You wanted a perfect day and you gave yourself one. God, I hate it when you do that. Do what? Turn everything into a plot against you. Make yourself the victim. I wanted a nice meal, so what? You've never once complained about that wine. You've never once complained about that food. You've never... I didn't say so that I can try to make something special and you can turn it back around on me as if I did something wrong by picking the wrong wine. His voice is escalating now, his temper rising. 
Fuck, James, that's not what I said. That is what you said. You deigned to walk in the door after finally deciding I was worthy of your time again. I was worthy of seeing your face. And you sat down and turned your nose up at my work. What are you talking about? I never, you never, you never, you never. James spits each word, thrown at her like a poison-tipped dart. He wasn't even sure where his anger was coming from, but it was boiling just beneath the surface of his skin. James, Charlotte tries, but he ignores her. Every time I try to do something nice, you throw it back at me, and then you tell me I hurt you, that I never do anything for you. You let me tell you about the perfect plan that you've ruined, and you make me say it back to you just to humiliate me. No, I couldn't even get through dinner without you bitching at me, fucking yelling at me for everything I've ever done wrong. That's not what... So what was it then? He's yelling, shouting, up on his feet with a bright red face. Bitch, what was it? She's not crying. Charlotte doesn't cry when he does this. Not anymore. She's resigned to his moods. She hasn't moved from the bed. Hasn't cowered or flinched or reacted to his outburst in any way. You came here, told me you wanted to see me, that you wanted to come home and then... Then what? she asks. He lets out a growl of frustration, hands ripping at his hair. Across the street, a light flickers on. Some neighbour awakened by him. It wouldn't be the first time. You told me you wouldn't stay. He glubbers at her, hoping to provoke a reaction. I didn't want to stay, she repeats. His fists clench and unclench as he tries to control himself. Why the fuck does she keep echoing him? Can't she come up with a single thought on her own? And I didn't want you to go. No, you didn't. And now we're here, in our bed, exactly like you planned. He lets out a shaky breath. Not exactly like I planned, he manages. You ruined my plan. How? she asks. How is it my fault? Because you should never have left in the first place. Because you told me you... He can't finish the sentence. He doesn't want to think about the end of it of her sitting across the table from him, her hair falling into her face to avoid looking at him, her hands holding the wine like a security blanket. So instead he crawls back into the bed with her and wraps his arms around her. Her skin is colder and he pulls her closer, letting his warmth seep into her, running his hand back and forth across her shoulder. You told me you didn't want to come back home, he finally says. And it broke my heart, Charlotte, that you wouldn't give me a chance to make it right because I love you and I know we can make this work if we try. We could. He ignores the question, his hands wrapping around her as tightly as he can, like if he squeezes hard enough, he can engulf her completely. It's impossible to get close enough to her, to get rid of all the space. The dawn light is beginning to seep into the room the sky turning into pale coral and violet hues. Why? Charlotte begins to ask the question again. But this time, no part of it is muffled. Why do you tell me you love me? James tries to look at her, but instead notices the light shining on his skin. 
notices the stains splattered across his hands. He pulls back slightly to look down at her, to ask her what she means. Why do you tell me you love me? She asks again. But Charlotte's lips aren't moving. No part of her is moving. Her eyes are wide and frozen in their expression of resignation, staring up at him as the ugly slash across her throat has dried into a deep blackish red. I do love you, he croaks, looking down at her. This isn't love. Her voice in his head. Her voice mocking him, toying with him. Her voice haunting him. Even as she lay where he had placed her, the liquid from the wound soaking through the sheets, his shirt and arms covered in her blood. You were leaving. He took a step back, away from her, but her eyes followed his every movement, even after all their former sparks had disappeared. Then you should have let me leave. I can't, I can't live without you, yet here you stand. Does her gaze flick towards the bedside table, or is that his imagination, or his memory, of him carrying her lifeless form back to the bed where she belonged? back to the room they had shared, of placing the knife on the nightstand and crawling in beside her, holding her, reminding her of where she'd always belonged. He picks up the knife as the light of the sirens flash across the room. He doesn't really register them as they pause in the front of the house. Do you love me, James? Charlotte asks. Do you need me? Will you endure while I am gone? Tears fall from his eyes as he looks from Charlotte's body to the knife in his hands. I don't know, he says. He wants to see something in her face. Any other expression. Anything telling him what to do. He wants her to blink so badly it feels like he's already cut open his own chest. Why couldn't you just stay with me? The tears are coming faster, blurring his vision. I wouldn't have... If you'd have just... Said you'd stay? There's a knock on the front door, and a part of his brain realises who it must be. You said you couldn't survive, Charlotte taunts. So why are you still here? James looks down at the knife, unsure of when he pointed it towards his heart. Mr Eiler, he hears from outside. Mr Eiler, it's the police. Please open the door. We received a noise complaint and need to speak with you. I can't. He's not speaking anymore. He's pleading with her in his mind, begging her to help him, to soothe the agony consuming him. He thinks through the tears. He sees her mouth curl into a smile. So choose, she tells him. Then it's silent. The silence he wanted all along. No more voice in his head. It's just him, her body, and the knocking on the door.
Uh, before we go, just a bit of information on today's authors. Francois Barreau is a writer of stories, essays and an unpublished novel. He'd long thought about creative writing but got serious about 12 years ago and applied to the MFA programme at SDSU. For five years he was forced to try out his dream, which was wonderful. He's been fortunate enough to have had successes in publishing stories and essays, both in print and online. He has a novel and two short story collections he dreams of publishing and seeing in the window of his beloved neighbourhood bookstore, The Catapult. In real life, he's a husband, dad, San Diego Community College math professor, mentor in the Congolese refugee community, mountain biker and mediocre hockey player. And the author of our second piece, Kirsten Petrus, is caffeine in a human suit held together by hairspray and a prayer. Her novel, The Next Witness, is set to be released on the 3rd of May 2022 by Cinnabar Moth Publishing. She claims home as a combination of New York and Edinburgh. When not writing, she trains contortion and aerial hoop, for which you will need to um, seek out her Instagram. She is also the co-host of Dark Waters, a literary podcast exploring all that is dark, dreary and wonderfully twisted. And as a special, special secret hidden bonus track for anyone listening, um, if you have anything, any crime stories um, that you would like me to have a look at and possibly read on the podcast, um, just drop me a message on Twitter. I am at Tummage. That's T-U-M-M-I-D-G-E. Um, so give me a shout if you have anything. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm reading way more novels just now, so I've not been picking up on as many new stories. Um, and that that will do for a wee surprise return. Um, thanks a lot for listening, and I hope to see you again soon. Cheers. <laughs>